the Art of Leadership Network. All right, podcasters, we're welcoming Andy and Stacy Wood to the podcast this time. And once again, we're turning the tables. Andy's normally the host. This time, Andy is the guest with his bride, Stacy, and pastor at Saddleback Church. Stacy, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's great to be here. Yeah. I've interviewed Andy before on my podcast and vice versa at the Echo Leadership Podcast, but this one is a first. So mm-hmm. this is really cool. We're so glad to have you. And I think re- this is my first podcast to ever be on. No. This yes. Is, is it really? We should do a dance. I, I think it is. So Okay. I- we'll have to have a selfie moment or something <laughs> like this to like <laughs> make sure we remember it. All right. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, no I'm pressure. sure. Yeah. Go, what was that? I said no pressure. No, yeah. No pressure. Don't mess it up. Well, As we've been working with planters this year and launching cohorts with planters, um, is very clear of the role that good marriages, teamwork in marriages, all those sorts of things play, not only in ministry, but really in unique seasons like planting. Mm. And so I'm really privileged to steward this conversation Mm -hmm. and have a lot of your input. And um, I know the listeners are going to eat it up. So thank you again for being here. So let's just talk about, give us a little bit of history of the Echo Church plant mm-hmm. for you guys, and that'll kind of bring us all on the same page, and then we'll dive into some things. Okay. So Andy and I started at seminary in Dallas-Fort Worth area, and we lived there for about five years. And then when we were finishing up seminary there, we knew that God was leading us to plant somewhere outside of the Bible Belt. And we had done some research on like 10 different really influential cities in North America. And we kind of had a list of things that we were looking for, very diverse. Um, We wanted a very influential area, an unchurched area, a place where there wasn't a lot of church planting going on. So we landed on the Bay Area and moved there in 2008. Um, with our almost two-year-old son at the time. And um, we didn't know anyone at all. Um, We took two other families with us to start with. So there were um, six adults and three kids. And we um, just started, we lived in the same apartment community and we just started meeting people. We would go out to these like meet the mommy type play, play groups. And I would just meet all the other moms in the apartment complex. One of the other couples had a dog. They would go to the dog park and just meet dog owners. We would have cookouts. And so it was just very scrappy. And um, we eventually formed a core team. And then we had our official grand opening. We moved there in August of 2008. We had our official grand opening in February of the following year. That's so cool to hear. I'm convinced that behind every church growth movement, whether it's a church plant or just a booming turnaround church, is a group of moms talking real Mm -hmm. around playgrounds and playgroups because there's sort of like a a no filter there, like what's going on, what's adding value to your life, and uh, you just sort of cut through all the muster in some of those groups. So I've been pretty convinced. I think that really validates my opinion right there. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) That's how our whole core group was formed, was from that mom's group. (laughs) So you guys think you were on the same page in terms of um, hope versus anxiety spectrum of the church plant? Because I'm hearing you you launched this in such a crazy season of life and you had some success in um, Dallas and those types of things in ministry. So you, you had a little bit of veteran status, I guess, with you. Um, did that 
add to your confidence and you were jumping in or were you, were you secretly going like, oh my gosh, we're moving to the Bay Area of California and I have no idea what tomorrow's going to bring? Yeah. So I think when it comes to taking risk, I'm pretty high on the uh, risk I, like, I, I don't mind taking risk. Yeah. And I was very much bought in on the vision. I was very excited about the move and just wanted to give my life to building this church. And so for me, the whole season felt very exciting. And I could really see in those early days, especially the hand of God opening doors for us that we could not have pushed open. And so it was all just it was it was so wonderful to see how God was moving. It was really hard at, at the same time because it was so much work. Mm-hmm. And so there were um, a lot of hours being put in. Our very small apartment was being utilized for all kinds of things. And then um, about a year after we started, we started the adoption process for our second son. And um, so that added another element after we brought him home. Mm -hmm. Um, So those first few years of the church plant, they were such a wonderful time for our family and bringing our son into our family. But it was intense, no doubt about that. And I was like trying to be as engaged as I could with the church plant and helping out with the kids ministry or in the services, however I could. But at the same time, I was at home with my two-year-old and then um, bringing home an adopted son as well. And so it was just a lot of juggling, a lot of different balls. We did our first capital campaign in the middle of that too. Yes, oh, that was kidding. craziness. That was, it was probably too much at once. It was too much. <laughs> That's, that only happened one time in our marriage though, to take on too much at once. It was that one time. That one time, that's it? It's the only time? Well, you guys are the first people to ever say that. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) We tend to overcommit. Yeah. Okay, so so let's talk about that. Did that feel like an overcommit in the early days? Well, we... Has there ever been a season that our lives did not feel like we were overcommitted? No, I mean... In 19 years of marriage? I mean, even dating back to high school, my mom would tell me, Stacey, you cannot say yes to one more thing. Mm. I think it's just like a weakness of mine that I just, I, I can't say no sometimes to things that look so wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Like who wouldn't want to start this amazing church and adopt a son and do... But it's a little different. So just to clarify the overcommitment, it's not necessarily like you can't say no. Oh, like you're just hanging out with everybody you ever meet. It's more like opportunity. Yeah. Uh, just a full life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think there's anything behind that? Like you look back and go, oh, I do it a little differently now that I've matured. Or you go, no, it, it was a lot, but I'd do it all over again this, at the same pace. I think if we felt like our kids didn't love it, maybe. But our, So, for example, in this transition to Saddleback, yeah. one of the hardest parts of the transition has been our kids loved Echo Church, that they, you know, they, that's all they knew. So I would say my kids deeply benefited from our being totally engaged in the church with our whole life. Mm -hmm. So I guess there's a part of it, probably what I would have done better earlier on is more intermittent resting, you know, like better with Sabbath, better with vacations. Mm -hmm. And turning it off. But I don't, I think that a full life is a part of, I mean, you look at Jesus' ministry and there were times where it's like 
he didn't have, there was a verse that said he didn't have time to eat, you know? <laughs> and then there's other times where he retreated. So that intensity, that kind of commitment is not bad. It's just probably the addition of that time of margin yeah. spread in there. But it sounds like you guys both ante up. Like, yeah, we sort of find ourselves in these situations, but then we ante up and like we power through it. Was there ever a time where you look back and go like, no, we actually were not on the, the same page? Or do you feel like you were on the same page getting getting into all of these um, it's huge It's more seasons? at a micro level than a macro level. So it's like, why did, <laughs> it's funny, it's just brutal honesty. It'd be like, why did you schedule that? Like, why are we doing that? Why are we having this event? Why are we, you know, so it's like more micro than macro. I definitely think that there are seasons where Andy is running faster than I feel like I can keep up with because he's more, I think we're both fast paced people, but I have, I do have more, like I'm an introvert. So I need time to, to just recharge, Mm -hmm. um, probably more than he does. And so there have been seasons where I just wasn't getting enough of that. And, um, and so being at one event after another, or even one weekend after another, um, it was, it would be wearing on me, especially if I was going through something personally where I was just emotionally depleted. And there have been some seasons that we've gone through really difficult things. The transition home for adoption was mm-hmm. a very difficult season. Um, we went through a miscarriage that was a very difficult season. And so when I, when I was hitting seasons like that, I basically would just pull back a lot and um, I would do what I could. And then, but he would have to keep running. And I think that there is a a grace about it too, that he had the capacity to keep running and I was just kind of at a full stop. Um, And so, you know, I didn't begrudge him for continuing to run. And I think that he tried to give me a lot of grace in the reality that I just, I couldn't, I couldn't run that fast during Mm -hmm. that season. Yeah. What about external pressures? Like, I think it's really cool to hear that you guys were able to figure that out, but did, was there church pressure to play a part or be in a role? Because obviously you had the passion mm-hmm. for, for this, mm-hmm. like you're giving up everything for this, this vision. Um, so it's not an issue of that, but was there pressure from the church to play a particular part that you didn't feel like you could mm. pull back from at the pace that you needed? You know, the interesting thing about our people was that they they never put that pressure on me. They, there was so much freedom yeah. for me to create whatever role I wanted to play yeah. within the church. It was, I was very blessed in that way. I know that that is not everyone's experience. I think I, the pressure was coming from me putting it on myself yeah. and that I wanted to be able to show up for these people in this way. But just knowing that I I had my limitations and I was hitting a wall at certain times and I, I just couldn't show up that way. Yeah. And so I never felt um, people putting guilt on me or pressure. It was just, I would, I would shame myself. I'm a one mm-hmm. on the Enneagram. Okay. And so go. I want to show up and do yeah. things perfectly every time. And, and when I can't, I, I definitely deal with that internal shame and that critical... Um, soundtrack in my mind, just saying, you're not good enough, you're not doing enough. And having to replace that with with truth has been a challenge for me. 
Yeah, that's interesting to hear and really good to hear, especially with the Enneagram perspective there. Hopefully most people know what that is because it's a great tool because uh, it speaks to me. So my wife, Stacy and I, if there, the thing that we probably don't see eye to eye on the most is pace of life. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing where we have to put the most energy in. But we've also figured out some things where it's just like, oh, we're just not gonna be on the same page. Like I need to give you more freedom to do that and you need to give me more grace to not do that. Um, I'm just curious when you look at maybe not even your own season, but other church planners and stuff like, what sort of advice from our listeners perspective um, would you have in terms of the need to be seeing eye to eye on certain things and then the need to be okay not seeing eye to eye on everything? Mm, that's a great question. I think it's really important just to have open and honest communication about like what are your top priorities? Like what are the things that are most important for you, for me to be a part of? And if I'm feeling like I'm worn out and I I just cannot be a healthy person if I'm like showing up for all of this stuff or engaged in all these things, just to have that honest question, like, I want to be on your team. Like, mm-hmm. I I want to support this vision. I want to be a vision carrier with you. But to be a healthy version of myself, I need to like have a little bit more space here. So you tell me what's most important to you for me to show up for, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to be their heart and soul. But I can't, I can't do everything. I can't keep your pace. And, um, and then that just gives him the freedom to speak in, to say, no, it's, it's really important to me that you share this moment with me. Mm-hmm. And, and then I can, I can do that. Yeah. Your answer can't be everything. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. The, I think that clarifying expectations is so huge. So for example, like in the early season when the kids were really young, for Stacy, that last little bit at the end of the day, like five, five thirty to eight, eight thirty, as we got them down, was just so exhausting. Mm-hmm. So she's like, "That's the time I need you to show up. Like that's the time I need you to be present yeah. and helping with dinner and yep. clean up and you know get, yeah. playing with the kids. I've been with them all day. So when they were young, we had. I mean, we did quite a bit of negotiating on stuff, and it'd be like, okay, well. I really, I really need you during this time. But then if you, you know, go back to the office at, I mean, not like the office, like your office at home, a lot of times I would go back in there, especially when, when we were at the apartment when we started and I'd go back and I'd work from eight to 11. Yeah. And for her, that's fine. She, you know, she might read a book. She, you know, it was fine with her. So clarifying that expectation mm-hmm. was huge. Yeah. I think the other thing too is there are some habits that if you put them in place really do anchor you you know in terms of like connection so when we started we made a really strong commitment and probably more than any other season of our marriage and ministry first five years of that of echo we were very consistent i would say we were very consistent until covid hit date night yeah with date night yeah and we would every week we would go out on a date like without yeah. Yeah, and the every way, single week. The way that we were able to afford that early on was we found one other couple that had some kids uh, similar age and we would just swap date nights. So Thursday nights, their kids would come to our place and then 
I would take their kids home and put them to sleep and Andy would put our kids to sleep. And then the next night they would take our kids and do the Mm -hmm. same arrangement. And so it was free babysitting every week and we got a date in. And I remember in those early phases of church planting, feeling like Andy was so busy at times that I wasn't seeing him. I wasn't having conversations with him a lot of days. Like it was just kind of pass and go. And, um, but I knew that date night was coming. And so there, there were a few times I would actually have come to date night with a list of things that I needed to talk to him about. But I knew that for that moment, for that evening, I had his undivided attention. And so I could, it, it kind of alleviated some anxiety I felt in my own heart of like, I'm not getting time with him right. because I knew that was coming. Yeah. And so um, we were very, very committed to date night. And I feel like also in that season, super committed to family day and like Sabbath. Yeah. And the kids um, were before school. They were not in school. Mm-hmm. So a Friday was like a, a great family day. Yeah, mm-hmm. we would always try to plan something kind of fun and make sure we got home for nap time so we could rest at the same time the kids did. And mm-hmm. it was that was a good season for us when it came to date night and Sabbath. And yeah. yeah. Is there anything when you look back at that the either the elders or other key staff around the church like from church planning days to sort of, you know, the 10 or 14 or 15 year point of the church that it grew and developed and matured that you look back at and go, oh, that was, I feel really supported because they changed a policy or made allowance for something like that, that people were able to come alongside you guys and make ministry more sustainable that you just didn't have in the church planning years. Mm-hmm like any key things that, that that church or even other churches have done that you've seen? Yeah. Yeah, we did. There were several things that our board did to really help our family. Yeah. Like they had, you know, when you think about a church planter's salary, if like a board setting it, you have a to- total salary. But if you take and you earmark a portion of that, mm-hmm. that is like, okay, this is money that you can only use for a date night or for family events or whatever. And you still have to do taxes and all that, but you have to actually use it on that. Mm-hmm. It really does help. So we had some instances like that where the church would help kind of say, okay, well, there's here's 500 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. It's a part of your salary, but 500 bucks a month that we want you to use on family type stuff. So you, 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 know, you get it as income, you pay taxes on it, right? But you don't get it if you don't. If you don't you, do it. Yeah. Right. And that, I think, doing that helped. We did a study break um, Mm -hmm. normally every year. And so Andy would go away for a full week and the the church would pay for him to be able to go away to, sometimes he'd go to a monastery, Mm -hmm. sometimes just a hotel or Airbnb somewhere. Um, and she would go with me. Most I would, of I would normally time. go for like the first half. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and then normally one of um, like our executive pastor might join him for the second half. Um, but it was just a week for him to get away and study and read and be like kind of get that content well built back built back up. And that was always super refreshing for both of us to have those days away mm-hmm. to just read and. Get yeah, and then I think great. most church planters like you know, hardworking, diligent church planters, the the board has to be more mindful of them taking time off than them, mm-hmm. like actually not working enough. Yeah, they, they, they need to check in and, and hold them accountable for the, the amount of time off, right? Yeah. Or else it doesn't get taken. Yeah, and if you can build into the expectation, like it's hard probably the first year, but the second summer to have like, okay, I'm, I'm going to take about three to four weeks off. 
every summer. Mm-hmm. And we started with that at the beginning. We would do, initially it was three, then it went to four. And we were doing that every summer. About half that was study, half that was family vacation. And that just allowed us to get recharged. And it's been harder in COVID to do that last couple of years. But that rhythm from the beginning is super, super important. You have to ask the question, like, do I want to do this for a couple of years or do I want to do this for decades? Yeah. And that yeah. changes your perspective. And I like that idea of, of study break yearly, right? You don't have to go to the burnout point and then fight for a sabbatical. Like you can take what you need along the journey. And uh, so that's, I think, super insightful. Stacy, you told me this story of, I think it was a plant pre-echo in Dallas. And we were talking a little bit about um, pace and and things. And you told me about this morning where you were headed off to work early in the morning and Andy's still asleep or sitting in bed in his PJ. So describe that story to us and let's let's dig in about the dynamics about that. (laughs) Yeah. So before we started Echo, we were in Texas going to seminary and we started a church there called Breakthrough that was focused on college students at UTA. And um, so while we were doing that, I was teaching kindergarten in a public school. So I would have to be up and out the door early by 7.15 in the morning. And I was working really hard as a first and second year teacher, trying to figure it all out. And then I would come home in the evenings and I would be doing ministry and trying to help with this church plant. And then all weekend long, you know, we're doing ministry and set up and tear down. And so I am just like killing it. I'm working around the clock. And um, and so I get up one morning to go to school and Andy kind of rolls over in bed and looks at me. He's like, oh my gosh, you're leaving already? And I was, I was so annoyed. And I was like, yeah, one of us has to go to work today. And I just was like not having a lot of respect for what he was doing because what it felt like to me is, and looking back on it, I don't think I was 100% off in my perspective. He was- a, <laughs> Were you, were you a, por- a portion of percentage off? Like, <laughs> I think you, it wasn't that you weren't working hard. It just that- you were, I was like, what are you even doing all day? You're just sitting around the house. You're like making some phone calls. Sometimes people come by, you're like eating snacks all yeah, day. And we were doing, we were doing college ministry and I was like 23, yeah. right? Or something like that. Yeah. So you're like hanging out with. I'm hanging out with college students till like 11 o'clock at night. Who were basically your own age at yeah. that point, right? <laughs> and I was like, oh, so you went, you went and shot uh paintball today and, and I was at school teaching all day. That's awesome. You were playing basketball until 11 o'clock at night last and you, night. And thanks for leaving your dishes in the sink for me at lunch so I could come home after working and clean them up. I think it was a lot of like, he just wasn't, he hadn't really grown into a man yet. Mm-hmm. Like he was still in that in-between stage because he was young. And so I, the point that I was making though in the story yes. was how that shifted when we moved to California. And there was something in him that just became a different version of himself. He clicked into this different gear of responsibility and focus and um, just a like a, he had a goal and he was purposeful and intentional about the way he was living. He wasn't just, he wasn't being lazy. I remember even the change in his eating habits and like he used to just kind of be 
like eat whatever. He was putting on weight. He wasn't paying attention. But then eventually he clicked in and he was like, no, I'm not going to get fatter every year. Like I'm going to, I'm going to work out. I'm going to count my calories. It's my I'm weight gonna- year over year. One of the church <laughs> attendants, they go up year over year, but I don't want my weight year over year. Um, and there was like a turning point because there was, yeah. you were creeping up every year on your weight. And I have then- these memories of sitting in Weight Watchers with like all these women in their like 60s and 70s. Yeah. I want to see pictures. That's what I want to see. We want to post them on the show. Oh, I've Just got get them some, on the website. I've got some great We've pictures. We've got some fat yeah. pictures. Yeah. So anyway, he, but I, I just really grew in my respect for Andy um, when, when he made that tra- transition to just, you know, take things more seriously, more intentionally. And it, he was working hard and being focused. And I think that as a church planter's wife, um, it, a lot of the lack of structure or, um, it can be misunderstood as like, what are you even doing? Mm-hmm. Um, but then when you see that type of focus and that intentionality and that discipline, it's like, oh, wow, I really can respect that. You are easy to respect. And I think that in Texas, I was trying so hard to respect my husband, and it was just hard. And then I came to California, and he he just became so much more easy to respect. Mm. And so I don't know. I say that I was telling you that story because I feel like church planters can make it easier for their wives to respect mm. and to come alongside that vision by the way that they choose to live their own personal life, to be a disciplined man, to get up early and to spend time with Jesus and to let your wife see you in times of prayer and that you care about your physical health and you're going to lead your family and provide financially and all these things. It's like, that's a lot easier for a wife to come alongside. And I mean, as a wife, we're called to respect even if you don't earn it. Um, but it's just a lot easier. You make our our job easier. Uh, yeah, we're still human, right? Yeah. Andy, what was going through your mind during that season? Were you conscious of all of this, or how did all that feel to you? Was that just an added pressure to you in ministry at that point? Like, oh, you know, now I'm a disappointment here too kind of thing? <laughs> well, I don't have a really big guilt gene, <laughs> right? I no. mean, I don't. That's a and good trait. It, so I, I think that at the same time, I knew that there was like more mm. that God wanted to do in me and through me. And I saw this in uh, the Atomic Habits book. I don't know if you remember that James Clear has this graph. And it's like, it's almost like a J where it's like you're building, building, building. And then there's like this point where it's under the surface and then it like shoots up. And I think that there were some things that I was working on when I was in my early 20s that just hadn't clicked in yet. So there, th- there was a tenacity that was there, but it wasn't, it wasn't expressed the same way. Yeah. So like the tenacity that was in existence was a hunger to grow and get better and like a desire to learn and ask questions. So I was, I was an insatiable learner in my early 20s. But I hadn't really had a good number of mentors that really helped me put it all together. So I remember when Stacy was pregnant with Cademan, I picked up, I think it was Robert Lewis's Authentic Manhood. Mm-hmm. And they had these, we didn't have enough money to get all the discs. So they had them in the library at the seminary. I got them and I would listen to them while, while I was cutting the grass. And so I had that going. In a Walkman? Yeah, it was like a big so Walkman with the big headphones, <laughs> the the soft headphones. But then 
I had that. And then I had a conversation with my brother-in-law at the kitchen table in my in-law's house on Christmas, the year before we moved to the Bay Area. And my brother-in-law, he, you know, he did everything right in the engagement process with my sister-in-law. Like, so Stacy's sister, mm-hmm. like he, you know, he st- asked my father-in-law early about dating and, you know, I did everything wrong. Like this, so he know, was the golden child. He is the golden child. And so he, I was already like intimidated. He was like four or five years older than me. And so we sat down and we were in debt. It was all undergrad debt. But he just said, I want to challenge you, be a man and get out of debt and do it by the end of this year. I want to challenge you to believe God can eliminate that debt. And that was a part of it. It was like, okay, I don't want, I don't want to start this church with debt. So we got really serious that year about debt. And then at the same time, I got connected with Steve Stroop. And so Steve started mentoring me. I would meet with him every month. And Steve is this guy who's, he's very strategic. He's very focused, but he's also, he's a good dad and a good husband. And he, you know, he really cared about being good at home as well. And so that investment, there was just something about those, the combo of all those factors. And then I realized like, okay, this, the size of my vision that God's put in my heart demands more of me. So it demands that I become more mm-hmm. of a person. And I think that that vision, like it really did pull me into a different version of myself because it was like, there's there's this vision that is not going to become a reality with me as this like 23 year old kid who's kind of working hard, but also still living the college life. And so all of that, it was like at 27, it was like, oh, it just clicked. Mm-hmm. It did. It was, it's amazing how fast you shifted. And just, um, all like you said, all the pieces just started to fall into place and it became visible to the rest of us, what God was doing under the surface all those years. Yeah, that's really good. I love Robert Lewis's stuff too. The uh, Quest for Authentic Manhood, I yep. think is like year two of the men's fraternity stuff. There's having some a really kid, amazing stuff Having there. a kid too does push you into a different realm. Like when you're when you start and you're doing ministry and you don't like, you don't have to get up. You don't, it's like, you know, your, your spouse can work, you can work, you know, you're both going for it, but then you have a kid and you're like, okay, well we have to adjust some of our priorities. We got to, we got to care for our child. Like that also shifted something in me too. Yeah. That's really good. Okay. Let's, let's talk about, um, how do you work together in ministry? You've had seasons where you've been on staff. You've had seasons where, you know, uh, a stay-at-home mom. And was it homeschooled as well? Yeah, we did yeah. some homeschooling. So all these different roles, and uh, especially in the early days, there's nobody more committed to the church, the church that doesn't even exist yet. It's still a dream at that stage. Um, how do you work together? How have you been able to stay engaged in the in the right ways, been informed in the right decisions, maybe even been in the room for certain things, things like capital campaign, the amount of support that that's going to require on the home front to do the meetings and things like that. You want to be bought in very early on. So how have you guys managed the ebbs and flows of that? We started in college doing ministry together. And so we used to, every Monday, we would take our bulletins from church to Chick-fil-A. And back then you could get a free chicken sandwich. And we'd actually take our college classes so that we would have a break on Mondays. 
Mm-hmm. And we we would go there and we would talk through it. We like literally had a, a student ministry staff, staff meeting, meeting at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Just the two of us. Yeah. Were you, and, and you were dating then? Uh, yes, sometimes, some, yeah, on and off. Is this how you were getting her to say yes to something? <laughs> it's, it's a part of the process. It's a strategic plan. Yes. Yeah. So that, I mean, we always, we enjoyed, we shared a similar passion and heart for ministry since we first met each other. Yeah. So that, I think that that was huge. But then as the church goes, you start, you go in different seasons. On the front end, before like, you know, she was full on with homeschool, it really felt like everything was done together. We're like processing together. If she's not in a meeting, she she knows what I'm doing, where I'm going. Okay, I'm going on this trip to raise support. Okay, I'm trying to, right. you know, plan this event. Da, 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 da. So we were, I would say, full on. Even when we did our staff meetings in our apartment, it'd be you and Felipe and Archie and like the crew, like we would do it in the apartment with us and Mandy. Like all of us would get there together. So we did that early on. It got harder as the kids grew and we had two and then we had three. And then when we had three, like that season between two and Sammy adopting, we adopted and he's getting adjusted. It was hard. It was. I think that, you know, before we had kids, I was 100% engaged. Mm -hmm. And then when you have children, um, you have to make adjustments to your life. It's just such a huge transition in life. And I think it was like shocking to me to realize, wow, I have this human and I've always wanted to be a mom and I, I, I don't begrudge being a mom, but there's this part of me that's like aching because I can't be as engaged as I once was. And so it did feel like a death to self in a way to have to say no to some of my ministry passions in order to be able to show up for my kid. And I think that as a young mom, that's a tension that we all have to live in um, and that you know, we want to have our hearts focused on our home and to be to be great at like showing up in our kids' lives and to invest in there that they're our first, our family is our first priority, our first ministry. Um, but at the same time, living in that tension of not, I didn't want to just only be at home all the time and like forgo ministry altogether. Um, and so I had to figure out how can I bring them along with me? What things can they be a part of? What can I do while they're napping? Um, how can I get a couple of things done when they go to sleep at night? And I just, what, what makes me feel like I can be engaged and fulfilled and like using my gifts? So I feel like that was a huge tension for us all the way until recently, since all of our kids have been in school, mm-hmm. just really the last couple years. And um, so all the, I mean, for literally about 13 years, I lived in that tension of not being on on full-time staff or on staff at all, actually, um, but wanting to be engaged. And so just trying, it looked different throughout the seasons, yeah. what I could take on. I think also another thing to add to this is that you, there's like a an evolution, like there's a timeline, right? So you start and kids are, most church planters I meet have small kids. If you can make a decision early on as a church planter that as much as possible, you're going to involve your kids in the church and then prayerfully ask God, like give you a couple families that have kids about the same age 
So like our kids, I mean, I could almost cry thinking about the relationships that my kids built with other families in the church. Mm-hmm. And like, they, they love the church. They want it. Like when we got a building, our kids, even in COVID, like we would just go hang out in the building and, you know, they're ramsacking all the <laughs> snacks and stuff. Yeah, but it takes they, about 10 seconds to figure out where those are. Yeah. But we, it's kind of like, I don't, I don't care. I mean, if, if there being five Cokes, you know, if my kid drinks three Cokes from the fridge at church and that's a part of him loving the church, it's like, we just wanted to do everything we could from the very beginning to engage the kids and not feel like we had to protect the kids from the church. Yeah. And our kids love, yeah. our kids love church. I have this really funny memory of this was not long after we had brought Sammy home. It was that fall. So we brought Sammy home in August. That fall, we were doing a capital campaign, our first ever capital campaign. And we had all of these um, meetings leading up to the big day to gather people and share the vision. And there was one at the clubhouse at our apartment. And for some reason, I had to bring our TV from our house, our apartment, to this meeting. And I also had to bring our two children. And so I am walking across this enormous field at our apartment. And I have a four-year-old walking beside me. I'm trying not to let him get run over by a car as we cross the streets. And I have our two-year-old, very traumatized, newly adopted child in a sling on my hip. And I am holding our TV, walking across this huge field to go to this giver meeting about this capital campaign. And I feel like that really captures that season of life where it's like, I'm trying to be a good mom and I got my kids right here beside me and I'm holding this weight that's like way too heavy for me, but I'm just doing the very best I can because I'm all in on this vision. And um, sometimes yeah, it was and, too much. And but. like to put it all in perspective, to look in the rearview mirror and think, okay, that was the giving initiative that God used to get that church into its first building. And then both of those kids loved the church. Mm-hmm. And so they grew up in that building. I'm sorry for my emotion on this, but just coming full circle is like, okay, it was really hard that night. But I think where where pastors do their families a disservice is like when there's so much separation. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, dad's at church, mom's at church, and I'm the kids are off doing this other thing. But when it's like this family engagement, especially in church planting, and I would just do anything that you can as a church planter to make it fun for your kids, even if it means like donuts and, you know, candy and, you know, all that stuff. So (laughs) I've seen that in so many churches that I work with of how I feel like church culture has been led well to just embrace ministry kids. Like, you know, give them access to the kitchen or the snack room or the, the fun stuff in the nursery and the kids' classrooms during the week and let them, um, just, enjoy what is there and connect with the people and sort of be embraced by the people versus my best friend growing up was a pastor's kid in the church plant that, that I was raised up in. And there was almost like a, like you, if you wanted to have fun, you had to wait till the meeting started where the parents were in. And then you had to go have fun, like back in the back lot or something like that, but you couldn't have fun anywhere you wanted. And I think I've seen that change pretty dramatically, even at some larger churches, like kids cruising around on golf carts and just, you know, having access to stuff that um, really makes a difference. Well, um, 
closing thoughts when it comes to couples in ministry, I think, first of all, this is, we're going to consider this like part A and maybe every 12 months we'll do another one of these and, and just talk about leading well in ministry together and, and what you're learning along the journey. Um, so we'll, we'll bookmark that and Stacy, you'll probably do 20 podcasts between this one and that one, but, uh, any other thoughts for couples listening, leaning into ministry, especially in the, in the planting days could be even pre-plant any other thoughts or suggestions, things to keep in mind, ways to encourage. Yeah. Um, two thoughts. One is directly related to finances. Um, when we were doing our church plant in Texas, finances were such a burden for us, and we did not have enough support raised. Mm-hmm. And it it was no end of stress about it. Like even we did we weren't making enough money to live on. Really, I mean it was it was so tight. I would ha- I would have to walk around the grocery store with a calculator in my hand adding up how much I was spending and then go put things back that we couldn't afford. And so living like that is just very, very stressful. And it was because we had not raised adequate support to be paid enough for our church plant in Texas. When we moved to California, we said, we're going to do this differently this time. And Andy worked really hard to um, have adequate funding for our church plant. And so he raised money for three years And we knew no matter what happens during those three years, we're going to have enough money for our family to survive on. And for me as the church planter's wife, that alleviated so much stress for me. I just was able to not have to worry about that and be fully engaged with, like, let's just give it our all here. And it took that stress right off the table. And so that's one thought, is just to make sure— that you are um, doing the work, the hard work of raising that support and and being able to provide for your family. And just to be clear, that's commitments, right? Mm-hmm. You had people that would said, hey, we'll partner with you. You right. didn't have to raise the money before you launched. They're saying right. they're going to give along a three-year journey. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, so like a monthly supporter, yeah. either personally or other churches that came alongside us. Yeah. The second thought is, Andy did such a great job of bringing me along with him in the vision and in the process. I know that um, some wives work outside the home. They have a different career, different job altogether. Um, But whatever you have to do to make sure you're doing it as a team with one heart, one soul, one mind, and that, that you're sharing ideas and that you're getting feedback. And Andy would always ask, for my feedback on things and how did how did you feel like that meeting went or what do you think I could have done differently how could I said that differently or he'll run something in his sermon by me and I I might give him some ideas and then and then lo and behold I would hear him use some of those ideas in his sermon and I would it just felt so validating to me like wow he really respects me and he respects my thoughts and my mm-hmm. opinions and I saw him incorporating those into his leadership and it made me feel like I was I played a significant role. Even if I was at home most of the day chasing kids around and changing diapers, I still felt like um, that I was a part of the whole vision because he would tell me about his meetings and conversations. And, and so I would just encourage church planters, make sure you're bringing your spouse along with you by, by just that communication and sharing the vision with them and asking for their input because it really does help with that buy-in in our own hearts to feel like I'm playing a significant role in this. I'm yeah. a part. That's brilliant. It's good. I would say that 
ministry and family is not an either or, it's a both hand, but it's certainly, there's a priority. And if you get to a place where the family is not your priority, then eventually you may have to make a choice. And that tension of like, it's both and, but if I'm not, if it's not good at home, then nothing else matters. Mm -hmm. And just keeping that at the forefront and then always being willing like to hold loosely to say, if there's ever a point at which my spouse feels like I need you to walk away from this for our marriage, I need you to walk away from this for our family to in a moment be willing to walk away from it for the sake of the marriage. And I think if you're willing to do that, then you'll lead differently in the process and you probably won't ever have to get to that point. But that willingness and that desire to put home first Mm -hmm. is so crucial. And to, to decide that before you start a church or to decide it in the first few years is so crucial because it shapes the rest of your life and the rest of your ministry. Yeah, it's it's such a beautiful thing too because it's so hard. I'm envisioning the type of church planners that are so focused, like these people are competitively wired. Like we all have a level of pride. Like we want to succeed. We want to be good at what we're dedicating ourselves to. And so to hold it so loosely ultimately means like you have to let this be God's thing that you're doing and saying yes to not your thing that you're asking. God to bless. So I think that's a really incredible statement. And I will say too that Andy has lived that out. I remember one one time we were going through a really difficult season with one of our kids and at at one of our staff meetings, he just publicly told our staff what we were going through. And he said to them, I just want you to know if I'm not as fully engaged um, at church right now, it's because I'm showing up for my family. And so all of our staff was in 100% support of that. And he was doing his very best at staff, but there it just required more of him at home for that season. And so I think that you've lived that, you've lived that out and it's made a big difference in our family and in our marriage. Yeah, that's so good. You know, the I'm sure it's Andy Stanley, but what's happening down the hall is more important than what's written on the wall. So you can say something as a value, but if your team doesn't see it lived out in your leadership, then it's not about you. Yeah. And there's so much security that it gives a church when the church knows that pastor really loves Jesus and really loves their family. It creates the stability that no amount of money or great strategy could ever accomplish. You know, you and to prioritize that, it just, the effect on the church is just so so crucial that's great well thank you guys so much both of you for being guests on unfair advantage i can't wait for this content to get out there and bless a lot of people thanks for having us thank you